Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And we discuss an episode of Stargate, beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. I'm very tired. I was just taking a nap. Nice. I like a... And now I'm still tired. Yeah, I like naps too. I, um... Mm. I could use one. I could have used a longer one. I was woken up by one of those stupid robocalls asking if I want to extend the warranty on my vehicle, oh. looking for the vehicle mm. owner. Love those calls. Those are great. Totally legitimate calls. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you gave them all your information. Yeah, I totally answered it and gave them all my information. <laughs> I highly recommend uh, handing out your mailing address and your debit card number to them, too. Oh, yeah. They might yeah, send you an expensive purse. Yes. <laughs> so stupid. That is bizarre. Yeah. It's great. Really great. Really excited. Yeah. Ooh, somebody somebody sent us a message on our contact form. <gasps> they on did. Page. Did you know that it is possible to send requests utterly lawful? <laughs> we suggest a new way of sending business offer through contact forms. Such forms are located on many sites. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't know that at all. I'm glad to be informed of this new way of doing business. Well, we can send one million messages for 49 USD. Holy cow. That's a lot of messages. If we want to. We yeah. should spam the world with the word of stargazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Join us. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. so much. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. What's going on with that purse thing? Um, I so I called. Well, I had. Let me back up. <laughs> so I think when I had messaged with you, I had you were getting the real time. Like, oh, I contacted Amazon. They said it's a mistake. You can keep it. It's a gift. And then when I went to pay my bills later, there was a huge charge on my bill for from Amazon for this thing. <laughs> For this purse that showed up at your house that yes. you never ordered. <laughs> and so I chatted again with Amazon customer service and they told me I had to file a police report. Not a police report. Oh my God. Oh, no. They oh. said I had to contact my bank and f- file a fraud alert. I don't know where my brain just ah. went. but Yeah, that's a very different thing. <laughs> so I did that. I called my bank. That was really easy to put in the request, but I have heard subsequently mm-hmm. that apparently... If the item was also shipped to me, it's hard to prove the fraud and they're probably going to reject my claim. But I won't know because they're going to mail me those results. That's annoying. Yeah. So I spent yesterday concocting revenge fantasies against my bank if they don't give me my money back. (laughs) And then also trying to figure out what I could do to Amazon if they also then refuse to take the bag back and credit me in any way. The... The order right. didn't go through my account. It went through some other Amazon account. So, right. So, but so far they're That's implausible so and would waste more of my time than anyone else's. So, yeah. That's so frustrating. Yeah. I'm guessing that somebody must have like gotten your address and put your address for the billing address and probably meant to put their own address for the shipping address, but then fucked up and put your address for it both. It could be that. Or there, apparently this is a thing that scammers also do, is actually mail it to the cardholder, either because a place will only allow the billing and shipping address to be the same, which is not the case with Amazon, obviously. Yeah. Uh, or, um, or they're going to do some other dodgy thing, like hire someone in your area to swoop it off your porch before you have a chance to get it yourself after it's delivered. Oh, and then there was some scam involving, like, having a... A driver show up to pick it up like UPS or FedEx to send it back but then it doesn't actually go to Amazon it goes to another address and anyway gotcha. none of that's happening because I've got a big fancy purse sitting on my kitchen table 
<laughs> all those purses that you use. I know how much I you love, love purses them. just about as much as I love they're, purses. They're great. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's fine. If people like purses, that's fine. It's just not my thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Best I can do is messenger bag. And vacation, yeah, I usually same. carry something because it's vacation and I have to carry lots of stuff with me. Right. And, yeah. Same. So that was fun. Awesome. I did not have as eventful of a day as you did. I graded stuff and I edited the podcast and I administered a test. And Sweet. That was it. Like a like a like a class test, not like any <laughs> medical tests. Weird. <laughs> no, I wasn't like doing any medical tests or anything weird like that. No. <laughs> Your new business. My new side business of yes. medical testing. <laughs> Can be very lucrative. Tell everyone yeah. you need their DNA. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was I going to say about that? I don't remember. <laughs> Thank you for editing the podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. I usually enjoy it. <laughs> I am happy to hear that. That is a good thing. Sometimes it's annoying. Usually. <laughs> speaking of this podcast (laughs) that we are podcast what are we talking about today this Ah, podcast all right well let's find out what we are talking about today by trying to remember what we're talking about today or finding it here today we are talking about stargate sg1 season 2 episode 4 the gamekeeper yeah so that's what we're watching yeah or talking yeah. about because we already watched it. I did it again. I did, did that last time too. <laughs> I have already watched it. I have also already watched it. The episode opens in the control room. We get a close up of a screen showing a dome that looks very much like the ball of Epcot Center. It's not a full ball, though, it's just a dome. Hammond tells SG1 that this is images that the MALP sent through of a new planet. And a random lady in the background says that the atmosphere is ideal. Tilk isn't familiar with this planet, so says it's probably unknown to the Gwelwolds. And it's established that they're going to go visit and see if these people will be their allies. So they go through the gate, and they're on this new beautiful planet. There's a nice pretty garden. And Jack says that where there's a garden, there's snakes. So he's not being much of an optimist today. Daniel sneezes <laughs> and complains that there are too many flowers. Womp womp. Flower! So they go into the biodome place that looks like Epcot Center. And it's full of all kinds of trees. And we see a bunch of creepy people laying in stasis pods. So that's weird and abnormal. They kind of look like they're plugged in like batteries. And they're all dressed in black with black veils over their faces. The team confirms that they are human and that these people are alive. And Jack asks what the chambers are. And Sam guesses that their medical devices are some sort of suspended animation. Then they make the mistake of checking out some empty pods a little too closely. And a whole bunch of wires reach out and grab them. Oopsie. All on their own. Yes. (laughs) Very oopsie. And then the entire SG team gets plugged into whatever matrix-like system these people are plugged into as well. And they are all unconscious and being held in place by a bunch of wires and cables with a couple going directly into their temples. Then credits. It was very convenient that there were four empty ones. Just four. I know, right? right? there. Yeah, just four. Exactly Lined four. Lined up. Right just there. Just waiting. The yeah. Yep. Extremely yes. convenient. Jack and Teal'c are, we're not sure exactly <laughs> where. They're outside yeah. of some sort of little cabin or something. They're wearing different clothes than they were before the credits. Teal'c is wearing a winter beanie. Like, Jack is also yes. wearing one, but for Teal'c hat watch purposes, I'm counting right. this. He's wearing a beanie. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. How many hats is this um, for him now? Oh, did you want me to actually give you a count? Because I got that somewhere. Well, it's Teal'c watch, watch. I thought that you were I counting. I am counting, but I don't have the number live. <laughs> I should have pulled Fair. it up beforehand, but I didn't because I didn't think to do that. Teal- <laughs> Teal'c's hats. This is the fourth. It's fantastic. 
Excellent. Different styles all so far. Yeah. Yeah. Teal'c says they appear to be on Earth. Jack agrees with this and then asks Teal'c what just happened to us. Teal'c recaps the opening scene. And then a vehicle approaches and a man steps out. And do you know who that man was? I do. Wait, no, I don't. But it depends on which one you were talking about, because one of them I recognized. The first one. It's Kowalski. Yes, that one I did know. Okay. I was like, wait, is this a trick question? <laughs> I forgot about the second man for a second, even though he plays a prominent role in this show, this this episode. So Kowalski steps out and also some dude named John. Jack yes. is confused. Kowalski asks why he looks so spooked. Rightfully so. Yes, and rightfully so, because Jack says both of them are supposed to be dead. Yeah, weird. I mean, we knew Kowalski was dead. Yeah. John is their commanding officer, and he goes over their mission, which is to extract some Russian guy or something. Apparently they're in East Germany. And it's 1982. Yes. Jack is hesitant to go because this seems wrong, not real. (laughs) <laughs> he's lived this before it's fair john's not into jack's hesitancy because john's in charge and says they need to go and jack says this isn't real and john hits him <laughs> real enough for you then jack goes about trying to prove this is not real by being like well who's this guy next to me which is teal'c and he rips off teal'c's hat and instead of his gold tattoo emblem he's got a full head of hair (laughs) not on his forehead on his actual head but (laughs) yes (laughs) where you would normally have head hair (laughs) and no 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 apophis symbol right (laughs) so they think teal'c is part of their team not as teal'c but as some other guy whose name i didn't write down it's like tom or something yeah yeah jack and teal'c have a little aside to try to figure out what's going on. Teal'c thinks maybe they've done some time traveling. He says that the gold have experimented with time before and maybe another civilization cracked it. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. And he thinks maybe this is an opportunity to alter Jack's history. So they all go out on a mission. Seems like a great plan. So Jack had explained to Teal'c that in this mission to grab this Russian agent that it had gone wrong and John had died. So saving John is the chance to alter history that they're talking about. Okay. Yeah. A lot of sneaking. (laughs) Which I literally wrote on one line, sneak, 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 next line, sneak, (laughs) sneak. (laughs) They head out on their mission. It seems like the... They didn't have to go anywhere for this. It was like next door. So I guess they're like not very far from. Yeah. They just pulled up in their, their truck right next yeah. door. That doesn't seem all that covert to me for what should be a really covert Which... mission. So it's not that surprising that exactly. the guy died. <laughs> so they try sneaking up on this house. Jack is able this time to warn them that there's a sniper on the roof, which it sounds like that's probably what killed John last time. Right. And the they are able to take the sniper out. But then, after they fire gas canisters into the house they're targeting and try to make their way there, a bunch of guys pop up from the bushes and there's a huge firefight. <laughs> John is wounded in the fight. Jack pulls him back from the firefight and John is not looking great. He's got blood coming out of his mouth. He's dying. He tells Jack to take care of Barbara and then dies again. So then they get out of there and they run back to where they started and Kowalski had been following them, but suddenly he's not behind them and he's in front of them again in the same truck that drove up at the beginning of this and he and John pop out again, alive and well. Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) They do. Oh, good. It's a loop. Meanwhile, Daniel and Sam have appeared wherever they are together. They're dressed in civilian clothes, and there's a lot of Egyptian artifacts around. Daniel asks Sam what happens, and of course she doesn't know 
But Daniel says that the place looks familiar. So they start taking a walk around and looking at everything. We hear some voices in the background. Daniel recognizes that this is the Museum of Art in New York. Those voices in the background, we can hear somebody mention the name Dr. Jackson. And it is clearly not this Dr. Jackson because nobody's talking to Daniel at the moment. So Daniel tries to approach the work that's being done and a woman tries to stop him saying that the area isn't open to the public, but he just shoulders past and she lets him go. So she's not very good at her job. (laughs) No, no, she's not. And we see a big roof-like slab of stone being lowered down onto some pillars. And there's two people standing directly under it because they have very bad OSHA practices, apparently, at this museum. I don't know. Maybe OSHA wasn't the thing back whenever it this takes just place. Seems but stupid. It doesn't seem like a yeah. good place to be, right? So, yeah. So they're standing under this huge swinging stone slab that is being held by a very small chain. Daniel recognizes that these two people are, in fact, his parents, which is how one of them was also a Dr. Jackson. And apparently Daniel's mom is suddenly worried because the slab is swinging quite a lot. The chain breaks, which is not at all surprising. And then also not surprising, the stone slab falls on them, knocks over all the pillars, and the pillars also fall down on them. Yikes. It is quite gruesome. They don't show any of the actual gore, but... That's okay. Back in Jack and Teal'c, they're going through the loop again. They're already at the house ready to try to grab the spy they're trying to steal or whatever. Jack says Mm -hmm. everything is too real and he doesn't know why he should go through this again. And Teal'c is still on the maybe this is a fix your past thing. So he says if someone brought us back, that's what you need to do. That's yeah. a lot of assumptions and guessing that Teal'c is making, but is. I guess absent yes. of any other exclama- explanation right. he can think of. It's kind of the only lead they have, so. So Jack's like, we can't change the past, but Teal'c is like, doing nothing also changes nothing. So they keep going. They kill the sniper again, and then they shoot their canisters of gas into the house. This time, Jack warns John to check the bushes where the enemy was hiding last time. John doesn't want to do that. He's like, we need to stick to the mission. Then Jack sees some veiled people watching them. (laughs) Quite creepy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. They're just hanging out there watching. Yeah. Yeah. Totally normal. These a bunch of people in black robes with veils. The the team heads in. Jack shoots at the hedges and nothing happens. And (laughs) John, the boss... Was like, this is not the plan. Stop it. But then, instead of the bushes, this time a bunch of dudes pop up from the roof and and (laughs) shoot them all again. Yep. (laughs) And then John dies again. Yes. The team retreats. The shrouded folks are still there. And the scenario starts again. Jack aims his weapon at his friends and asks what is going on here. The veiled folks are kind of, they're kind of moving in on them a little bit. The, John and Kowalski can't see these veiled people, but then some dude in a much more colorful looking outfit comes out and tells Jack to stop arguing and proceed with the mission. Did you see his hat? It's so long in the back. What is that? It is a weird hat. I don't know how to describe it. It's like... I don't either. It's, yeah, it's like long and flat, but then it like hooks around and comes back up. It's hard to describe. He introduces himself as the Keeper. Jack says, Keeper of what? Kathy, did you recognize no. the Keeper? Really? I mean, he kind of looked familiar, but a, a lot of times I'm like, they might look familiar because I've already seen this episode. This was Dwight Schultz, and if you don't oh know my who God, Dwight really? is, he plays Holy Lieutenant Barkley <laughs> on Star Trek. I didn't even pick up on that, but now that you say that, I can picture it. Yeah. Yep. Holy shit. Yeah, but also in this, he had a like a really bad fake accent <laughs> <laughs> that he does not have on Star Trek. 
But also with all the the debacles that he has in the holodeck on Star Trek, I'm like, oh, so they're on a holodeck and this is canonical Star Trek. (laughs) And therefore, this guy in my notes is now the bar keeper because he is the bar keeper. The bar keeper. (laughs) I totally missed that. Wow. Oh, man. It's totally appropriate for him to be in this simulated scenario. The bar keeper says he is the keeper of all that is and all that might be. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Tilk asks why they're doing this, and the bar keeper says this is what Jack has always wanted. And Jack says, why would I want to relive the worst operation ever and watch his friends die over and over again? But Barkleeper explains that you've always wanted to do it again and get it right. Jack is not playing this game, though. The Keeper urges Jack to go on with this scenario. It's the only way to make the changes he wants. So they have a little back and forth about, make these changes, don't make these changes. And it's basically not real. So Jack and Teal'c sit down. And the scenario runs without their participation, and we hear gunfire in the distance. Tilk says, I hope we're doing the right thing, and Jack says, so do I. Back at the museum, Sam is trying to console Daniel. And she's talking about the machines that they were looking at before all of this happened. And she says that she initially thought that they might have been some sort of a time dilation mechanism. The flux capacitor! And Daniel asks her to just tell him that this whole thing isn't real and she says well that's the just it i don't think it is because if this was a time travel thing then you should be a child or we should see the child version of you but you're still here as an adult so that means that this is just some sort of augmented reality rather than a a time travel issue in the background we hear that the whole scene is starting over again so they are also in a loop just like Tilk and jack are We hear someone saying to be careful with that cover stone and they come up against the same woman again as they try to get past. Again, she does a bad job of keeping them out. (laughs) The stone is swinging and this time Daniel looks behind him and he sees all of those same robed guys that Jack was seeing before in the other scene. Daniel tries to tell his parents that they need to move, but they are not listening to him. And apparently, even though he is an adult, they see him as a kid and call him Danny and tell him he needs to get away from there. And Daniel tries to argue with them that they need to move. He's hurt himself. He needs to come and help them. He really needs their help. But they basically just brush him off and say, you know, you're walking. You're fine. If you had really hurt yourself that badly, you wouldn't be walking. And then, of course, the accident happens all over again, just like before. Daniel is completely despondent and walks away. (laughs) Understandably distraught over this whole situation. Yeah. Very rough. So Sam goes up to him and says, correct me if I'm wrong, but... She guesses that that whole audience of creepy people in the background (laughs) wasn't there the first time that this happened in real life. And she says that that confirms her guess that it's some sort of a virtual reality matrix simulation thing that they're in, whatever you want to call it. And Daniel's like, so cool. This gives me the chance to replay my worst memory ever over and over again. And Sam's like, well, maybe it's just your strongest memory. (laughs) Really? You think? Like, yeah, probably Probably. the most traumatic memory of his parents dying would be both his worst and his strongest memory. Good job there, Sam. I mean, you know, his wife was also taken by a gold, so, you know. True. That's true, too. But (laughs) things that happen in our formative years tend to also be the strongest memories that we have. The tragic life of Daniel Jackson here. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So... Daniel points out, again, that his parents called him Danny and still see him as a kid. And he also mentions that he's replayed the scene in his head so many times, trying to think if there was anything that he could have done differently to keep this the tragedy from happening. Sam, like Teal'c, guesses, well, maybe this is your chance to, to do that and to undo what shouldn't have been done. The feckless woman from before, who was trying to keep them away from the work site, suddenly morphs into the bar keeper. Is there something I can get you? Some um, some coffee, tea? Oh, wait a minute, don't, don't tell me. Chocolate ice cream. 
And he says, isn't that wonderful? Uh, and you get to do this all over again with as many variations as you want. And he is so excited at this opportunity that he's giving Daniel to live this over and over again and try to do it in a different way. And Daniel's like, who are you? So the keeper introduces himself again. And Sam asks where they are. And he's like, it's the New York Museum of Art. I think you called it right. And Sam's like, no, like, really, where are we? The keeper says, well, that's all in the eye of the beholder. But Daniel has always wanted to do things differently. So again, here's your chance. So they go back and forth a bit with him trying to convince Daniel that, yay, I'm giving you this awesome chance. And Daniel being like, no, this sucks. Please make it stop. The scene starts again one more time. Daniel walks up to his parents. This time he tries forcefully grabbing them by the hands and tries to drag them out. But his father calls a worker over and the worker comes up and drags Daniel away. And the accident again happens all over again. Daniel storms back over to the keeper and begs with him again to make it stop. And they continue to go back and forth again over this sucks for Daniel, but the keeper thinks that it's a great opportunity. With all due respect, sir, what do we have to lose by trying? The scene starts yet again. <laughs> and Sam actually tries to get Daniel to play the game again, but Daniel refuses. Barkley tries to guilt him into it, saying, You can't let your parents just suffer an awful, awful death and stand here and do nothing. And Daniel's like, Well, I am not playing this game. So the keeper gets really pissed at this point and tells them what an obstinate race <laughs> humans are. And he pushes some buttons on some kind of alien tech that he's got on his arm. And these coils come bouncing up out of the ground, kind of like the uh, the rings, <laughs> but opposite of that, because it comes up. And then when they retract down, Tilk and Jack are there. Woo-hoo! And Jack is not happy to see the keeper because he's like, you. <laughs> <laughs> but then he realizes that Sam and Daniel are OK, are, are there and asks if they're OK. And Tilk asks where they are. Sam tells them her theory about the VR simulation and the keeper is really hung up on how they should be enjoying these opportunities that he's giving them and asks them again why they're not just taking advantage of it. But Jack and Daniel are continuing to argue both now that how could anyone enjoy repeatedly watching their friends and family getting killed in horrible, horrible ways. So the keeper asks them why they won't just do it. He's given them challenges to conquer. Just do it. Just do it. Do it. Just do it. It's fine. Just do it! So Sam does get him to confirm that this is a simulated world. And that it is all in their minds, coordinated by him. Sam wants to know how it works, but Jack doesn't really care. And he's again demanding that the keeper let him out. And he's like, well, I can't do that because you're hooked up to machines that are providing you all the nourishment that you need. And there's implants in your brain. And I have a channel going right into your brain and information coming out of your brain. So here we are. And Sam's like, so our brains are connected to some kind of network and we're trapped here. And the keeper is like, yep, but your brains are very valuable and you're going to add much value to our society. Yay. Yeah, lucky them. He thinks that they're lucky. He thinks that everyone is lucky. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, he thinks that the residents are lucky and that SG-1 is lucky, so he sees nothing wrong with the issue. But Daniel wants to know how long the residents have been there, and the keeper says that it's been about a thousand years, and Jack's like, yeah, we're not doing this for another thousand <laughs> years, so we're out of here. Daniel actually pauses for a second and has a little bit of empathy for not the keeper, but the other residents that are in this place. He's like, well, we're like new software to them. It's as though they've been locked in a room with only five movies to watch for the last thousand years or so, and they're bored out of their minds. And so as far as they're concerned, we are new entertainment for them with new experiences for them to share in. Sam says to the keeper, so you're just using our memories for programming for everyone's entertainment. And the keeper is like, well, I can actually really only use the two of you because that guy pointing to Tilk has something in his brain protecting him from output. So I can send my messages into his brain, but I can't get any information out of his brain. And apparently that one too, and he points at Sam. And Tilt guesses that whatever influence that Jolinar had on her brain is giving a similar protective shield to the output that he has from his symbiote. Is this, this seems to be first confirmation that there's a physical aftermath to sam's experience yes this is the yeah this is the first 
mention that they've made of that again since the experience actually happened. And the first hint that we get that there might be some lasting consequences for her as a result. The the keeper tries to argue that, you know, it's okay that we can't get any new messages from you guys because you guys can play along in the games too. You can you can still participate and I can still send these messages into your brain. So they continue to go back and forth for quite a while about why it's not okay for them to stay there and why they're not happy about it and why Barkley the keeper, Barkley the Barkleeper, thinks that they should <laughs> stay there. And apparently... The people on this planet had destroyed their planet with a chemical disaster about 1,022 years ago, and he says they were a victim of their own technology. And a lot of the people, most of the people died, and the rest that were left put themselves in suspended animation. And Sam is like, well, good news! Good news, everyone! Your planet's fine now, because it's beautiful out there, and so you should all go and be free and enjoy your planet, which is now nice. The Keeper is like, well, no, that's not true. I watch stuff out there. It is bad. And we don't go there. We shouldn't go there. Don't go there. Ignore what these people are trying to tell you about it being nice out there. Because, of course, all the Shadow Creepers are still standing around (laughs) and watching this whole exchange taking place. Jack turns to them at this point and says, no, this guy is lying. And Sam confirms that his monitors must be wrong if he thinks it's bad out there because it is beautiful. Jack and Daniel both want to know why the Keeper is the one that's in charge of this whole thing and why the people, the other people can't just kind of make up their minds for themselves about what they want to do. The Keeper's like, well, I made this place, so I'm in charge of it. And Jack says, well, you have no control over anything if everyone just decides to leave then. So Jack, again, is trying to plea with the other shadow people, the caped figures in the background, that, that the Keeper is lying and that they should all rebel against him and refuse to cooperate in this simulation anymore. But the Barkleeper taps a few buttons on his armband again, and all of the robed people are suddenly poofed out of there. And Jack's like, cool, get them away from here so that they can't hear the truth. And the Keeper's like, well, I'm not going to let you poison their mind. Daniel says, well, if you're keeping us here to entertain them, uh, it's going to be really hard to keep us separate from them and to keep us from poisoning their minds if we are also supposed to be entertaining them and interacting with them. So the Keeper's like, well, fine, I didn't want you here anyway, so you're done. Get out of my life. And he pushes a button and they are suddenly back in their pods. Cables and wires are no longer hooked up to prevent them from leaving. And Sam asks, wasn't that just a little too easy? And Jack says, yep, let's go home. <laughs> Whew, that was a long that one. That was a long one. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. And I skipped over a ton of dialogue. As much dialogue yeah. as I included, I skipped a ton of it, though, because it was just a lot. so much back and forth. So much back and forth. Repeating the same stuff. <laughs> you deserve a cookie. I wish I had a cookie. Perhaps a fortune cookie. A fortune cookie. (laughs) The millions of fortune cookies that we have out there now. Yes, absolutely. I don't get fortune cookies unless I ask for them from my place. Yeah, I think Jeff might have asked for them, but a lot of the time we don't. And so I guess he did, and they apparently gave us a million fortune cookies. They're just making up for uh, the times that you didn't have them. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The team is back at the SGC. They're in the infirmary getting checked out. Fraser. Dr. Fraser, not Fraser. <laughs> I figured we probably Kelsey Grammer appears. <laughs> There's a new kid in town. That would be a twist. Yep. Dr. Fraser says that other they have some puncture wounds in their temple spines and abdominals, but otherwise they seem all right. That was about all, right? They're all good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that was it with that okay. scene. Yep. The team is in the conference room with Hammond discussing the situation that they just went through. Daniel thinks they need to free the people on the planet. Jack says it's none of our business, which Hammond agrees with. Daniel argues that the people are living that way under false pretenses, and Fraser jumps in and says that the machines are sustaining their lives and removing their life support might be problematic for those people, which is a fair point. Right. We don't know. They've kill them for been all in they there. Know, right? Yeah, they've been there for a thousand years. Right. <laughs> and they're just humans, so I'm guessing they don't normally have a thousand year lifespan because they did confirm that they are not an alien. Yeah. 
Ooh, okay. Instead of immediately doing what Jack wants, Hammond then says that they need to get more information in order to make a decision on what they should do about that planet. That right there should have been a dead yeah. giveaway that this wasn't the real Hammond because he didn't immediately give in to Jack's wishes. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Teal'c says we should go back to get more information, and Hammond's like, yes, this is exactly what we, what I want. Yes. Jack's face is like, what? <laughs> then Jack says, without meaning this time to sound like a smartass, are you cracked? <laughs> Hammond says that there could be valuable technology and resources that justify the whole reason the Stargate program exists on that planet. And Sam's like, it could be dangerous. And Hammond says, I don't see how. It's an artificial (laughs) environment. (laughs) So we know this doesn't sound right. (laughs) Yeah. He asks, can you die? He's usually a bit more cautious than this. (laughs) Yeah. He asks if you can die there. And Sam says, we don't know. Jack's like, I just don't want to get trapped there. And Hammond's like, you got out the last time. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. And he tells them if they don't come back in a week, he'll send SG2 to pull you out. I know, and I was thinking like a week, an entire week. I know, but it gets better because he also says, seems like you might have a great time in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's yeah. like, think of all the cool things you yeah. might experience. Yeah. And then he he pulls out the sun card on O'Neill. Like, maybe you can see your son. Ugh. No. Yeah. Jack is alarmed and confused, clearly. Right. Hammond continues that Daniel could visit all kinds of ancient worlds. And they've Jack's had enough of this. So he gets up and goes over to Hammond and starts fondling his ear, looking behind it for, (laughs) I don't know, implants or something? Yep. (laughs) Oh, the edges of a mask, I think he said. He says, you're not the real Hammond. And that they are still on this planet. This is a new game brought by the Keeper as he pats Hammond on the head. (laughs) (laughs) That was really funny. (laughs) Hammond gets up and tells Jack he's out of line. Fraser says maybe they're having a reaction to the machine and maybe they should run some tests. Jack says get us out of the machines and then someone cocks a weapon. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of an overreaction here. Hammond says this is insubordination and you were to follow orders and rejoin the residents of the artificial world. And Sam's like, residents? That's what yeah. the keeper called them. <laughs> Hammond says, you're going back in. And Jack's like, we're already in. (laughs) So they detain SG-1. Yes, they do. do. In that detention cell, that holding cell, wherever they are. After Hammond, actually, in the last scene, made a big point that he was going to put them all in isolation so they can't talk to anyone. We see that they are actually all in the isolation cell together. And there are two guards (laughs) in there with them also. So not so much isolation. So this is a little bit more like I would maybe expect from the real Hammond. (laughs) Tilk. Uh, says to Jack that you seem awfully confident that we're not on Earth. And Jack asks everyone else, well, you know, did that really sound like Hammond to anybody else? And Tilk is a little confused here because he had thought that we that they could only experience past events. But Sam reminds him that the Keeper had also said that they could really experience anything that they could imagine. Not just things that have actually happened to them, but anything that they could imagine they could experience in that Matrix-like place. And Jack is adamant that they're still on the planet. Suddenly, one of the guards is Kowalski. He was definitely not Kowalski before, (laughs) but now he's Kowalski. And so he comes forward from where he was standing next to the door and asks, you know, is it really so bad to be stuck on this planet? Haven't you guys missed me? We can have all kinds of fun together. Jack, we can play hockey. And Carter, you'll never grow old. (laughs) Why did he like single her out with that one? I wanted to know. It was bizarre. Maybe she's in the past expressed to him a desire to live forever. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So Jack asks, who are you? I know you're pretending to be, but like, for real, who are you? Are you the keeper? And Kowalski's like, nope. 
So Jack, again, is trying to be insistent on finding out who this person is, but then decides that it doesn't really matter, and he punches the fake Kowalski. They take out the other guard and escape, so apparently these doors weren't even locked or anything, so... <laughs> well Not done. so well guarded. Yeah. <laughs> but then right outside, the hallway is full of the creepy-robed people. One of them takes off the robe and tells SG-1 that they've been looking for them because they wanted to continue the conversation from earlier. They are interested in hearing about what's happening outside. And Tilt tells them, oh, it's quite agreeable outside. And one of the robed women asks, well, that means that the poison's gone and everything isn't dead out there. The Keeper has always been telling us that it's super dangerous out there, but everyone on SG-1 is telling them that, no, it's extremely nice. And the Keeper's just been lying to them this whole time. One of the other women is really skeptical, but they all agree that they should check it out if to see if SG-1 is in fact telling the truth. So Jack tells them to come with him because he's going to show them exactly what it is that they're missing. And Daniel wants to know, well, how exactly do you plan on doing that? But Jack figures that in this alternate reality, he can take them through the alternate reality gate to the alternate reality of their planet on the planet. It's an Inception thing. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. His plan is to take them through the fake gate to go to the fake version of their planet as they're all laying in these stasis pods on the real planet. <laughs> they manage to get the gate open and make it to the gate room, but then Hammond shows up and shuts it down. Stupid Hammond. I know. SG-1 is trying his patience. <laughs> The team runs to the control room after Hammond, who then morphs into the bar Cleeper. It's me. And they follow him through a door with a weird symbol on it that sort of looked like... It reminded me of when they like moved Jack and Teal'c into the room with Daniel and Sam. That sort of oh, like spirally coil coils. Things, yeah, yeah, so it had this coil thing oh. on it. And it didn't look like something that belonged in the SGC. So I noticed it. Interesting. And later to that point, I noticed one on the door in the museum, too, yeah. when Sam and Daniel first get there. They head toward what looks like the dome on the planet. And they see themselves in their suspended animation pods. What are the odds that trapdoor laid me out here? They're all released from captivity. Yeah. Again. Yes. So they need to know, are they really out? They spot the keeper slinking away through a door and they follow him. The door closes and they are outside the dome in the pretty, pretty planet outside. It is a very pretty planet. The keeper says, don't hurt me. <laughs> I didn't mean any harm. You know, our my people's existence was just very stagnant, and he wanted to help them. So Sam looks around and asks how long he's been tending this garden that's been growing, and the keeper says many years. Daniel asks why he's lied to his people. Why not give them the option to leave? And the keeper says that those people, their kind anyway, were the ones who ruin the planet in the first place and he's worried they're going to do it again. He also says no one's preventing them from leaving and there are lots of portals inside so that's what I think those doors were with the symbol yeah. on them. And that they could leave at any time but Jack's like you have to know those exist in order to use them. <laughs> Sam says they also need to know that there is somewhere else they can go and the keeper tells them that they ruin that too. They've poisoned the mines of all of these people, SG-1, ruined his fun, and there are people now coming out to the light and removing their shrouds. Yeah. They've all made their escape, apparently. They've figured out how to escape. Well done. Yeah. A little while later, they are at the gate on this planet. Daniel's dialing out, and the gate opens. I have a question. Yes. Why is the gate so far away from the DHD? That's a very good question, and it's I do not have an answer really for that. Far. It is abnormally far away. And yeah. how does the gate know to stay open that long? How is it determined right. how long the gate stays open? Okay, I'm done now. 
It's like the slide, the portals and sliders that always stay open for exactly how long they need to stay open. Yeah. For. <laughs> Except for when they need them to close in order to prevent somebody to going. Yeah. It's just right. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, exactly a lo- as long as they need to stay open to be convenient for the plot. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how long these gates stay it's open. It's really far away. <laughs> yeah. It is weird. They would have to like make a run for it to get through it before it closed. Like, yeah. I don't know. Bizarre. But yeah. Good point. And I hadn't actually even really thought about that, but now thinking back, it was really far away. <laughs> One of the women from before thanks them all for giving them a world with a future full of beautiful new experiences. And the keeper comes up and is extremely upset because all these people are ruining everything and picking the flowers. And Jack is still a little bit skeptical and is like, this is all real, right? And then the keeper continues to flip out at the people because they're in the garden and they're <laughs> picking flowers and he's yelling at them to stop picking the flowers and to get out of the garden and says, first the garden and next the entire planet. And everyone on SG1 is like, yeah, this is real. Let's get out of here. <laughs> That's the episode. That is the episode. Yeah. <sighs> Mary. Yes. Did you like this episode? <laughs> uh, I had mixed feelings about it. I found it, I thought it was an entertaining episode in a lot of parts, but I found it to be, it's kind of, you know, we've, we've seen episodes kind of like this before, like the episode with um, Obaroka where like, it's just characters going back and forth, like not really yeah. getting through to each other. And I find that to be really frustrating and kind of anxiety inducing to watch where like, yep. The keeper here is just constantly arguing, this is great. Why don't you see it's great? This is great. Why don't you see it's great? And all of SG-1 arguing, this is terrible. Why don't you see it's terrible? And then there's just so much going back and forth, repeating and reaffirming their own point of views and very little headway being made. So that was frustrating to me. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but I'm not a huge fan of this actor. So I wasn't necessarily as delighted by his appearance as I was when it was like Armin Shimmerman (laughs) showing up. For a guest appearance. Yeah. Um, and then the last scene where he's getting all upset about the people picking the flowers in the garden, that was like the one point where I actually could empathize with the keeper because it's super shitty to go into a manicured garden and start picking flowers. <laughs> you don't, don't do that. That's so crappy. So now that I'm saying all this, I think I didn't actually like <laughs> it all that much. <laughs> it just kind of stressed me out. <laughs> That's, yeah. How about you? What did you think? I also did not enjoy this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I Part of it was the same thing you were talking about, the endless back and forth. Yeah, it gets frustrating. Really to, tedious, too. Yeah. It's tedious to watch. It's tedious to take notes on. It's tedious to report back as yeah. we're making this podcast sometimes to yeah. talk about that. And this is probably a me thing, but mm-hmm. my... I. They were of short duration, but I hate a Groundhog Day scenario where you have yeah. to relive the same freaking thing over and over. It mm-hmm. is so boring. I can't deal with it. I don't usually like them, although there is a Star Trek episode that I generally like that is one of those kinds of episodes. Our sensors detected a temporal distortion. But yeah, yeah, typically speaking, I don't really like Groundhog Day type scenarios and, for the same reason. And these were both like really tragic things that they kept yeah. reliving. It was awful. Exactly. <laughs> That's what made it that much worse, that these were just terrible events yeah. happening, like, especially with Daniel's parents getting crushed yeah. horribly. I mean, like, the guy getting shot up is really bad, too, but something just so much more gruesome about, like, thousands of pounds of stone falling yeah. on two people and crushing them to death. And I also think that Michael Shanks looked really distraught. He did a really yeah. good job of... He did. And that is one of the things I liked about it. I think he and Jack were both very good in this episode. Yes. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that for sure. And I also thought this episode was really pretty, I'm going to say. I thought the yeah. colors popped not just on the planet, but everywhere mm-hmm. more than they do in some episodes. Yeah, very true. You know, there was the, the the Keeper's whole outfit in contrast to like the plain black robes of everyone else. Yeah. And then, like you said, like the planet was really pretty flowers. But then even the museum and the East Germany yeah. scenes were pretty. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point that I hadn't really thought about. I agree. So, I don't know. The Stargate looked really pretty when they went through it uh, it the first time when they, well, any time, but on the planet when they first go through is really nice looking. Yeah. So, it was a very, I thought it was a very pretty episode, but not my cup of tea. Yeah. That's fair. 
Well, hopefully the next episode will be a little bit better. <laughs> so uh, what will that be? Let me, let me uh, check. Hold on. I always wait to pull up Netflix because I don't want it to interfere with like all the other functions on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> it might not, but you know, I don't have a very powerful computer, so. Fair. Okay, what's our next episode? Let's see what Netflix says first. The next episode we'll be watching is Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 5, Need. When the team encounters Jaffa warriors delivering the precious element Nakwada, they are captured and forced to slave in the Nakwada mines. Let me pull my booklet out and see how that compares. Out of curiosity. I'm going to stop doing this at some point, but right now I (laughs) really think we're getting like first season or first first, uh, god damn, I cannot talk. (laughs) First scene. That's season three. Okay, so our alternate description is, On a mysterious planet, Jackson saves the life of a beautiful princess, but his heroics cause the SG-1 team to be taken prisoner. Jackson and the princess fall in love, but as he struggles to gain his comrades' freedom, his romance could spell doom for them all. Oh, gave up on his wife pretty quick. (laughs) Man's got needs. I don't know. <laughs> Hence the name of the episode. Yeah, that's oh. true. <laughs> Good times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As always, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, please make sure that you subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice so that you get our episodes as soon as they come out every Monday. Or if you want to get them even sooner than that, you can subscribe to us on patreon.com slash stargatesing, and you will typically get them on Saturdays or Sundays instead, since you get early release if you are our sponsors. You can also find our episodes on YouTube. We greatly appreciate likes and reviews, and word of mouth is also extremely helpful for getting the word out there and helping new people find the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us between episodes, you can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com, or you can follow us and message us on Twitter at stargatesing. And last but not least, you can check out our website, which is stargatesing.space. I'm Mary. I'm Kathy. <laughs> You've been listening to Stargatesing. The end. The end. <laughs> Yay! Insert funny clip here. Yes.